This is the Inclusion Interchange, a podcast from the University of Pittsburgh's Office for Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. And here's the host of the Inclusion Interchange, Dr. Clyde Wilson-Pickett. Welcome to the Inclusion Interchange. I'm your host, Dr. Clyde Wilson-Pickett, and it's my honor and privilege to welcome you to the first episode of The Exchange. With me today is Dr. Rory Cooper, Distinguished Professor and founding director of Hurl here at the University of Pittsburgh. Dr. Cooper also serves as the assistant vice chancellor for research for STEM health sciences collaborations. Dr. Cooper, it's an honor to welcome you. How are you today? I'm great, Clyde. It's an honor to be here. I, I didn't realize I was going to be your first guest. That's uh, it's quite an honor. I'm very impressed. And thank you for uh, thinking about people with disabilities as part of your inclusion podcast. Absolutely. So, of course, this is an opportunity for us to have some exchange, and this is a very special date that we've selected. This is the anniversary of the ADA, and so, of course, we'll spend some time talking about that and your time at the University of Pittsburgh. So I'll begin with this. Talk to me about your experience coming to the University of Pittsburgh. How long have you been here? And talk to me about what Pitt means to you. Well, the, uh, the funny thing, I came to the University of Pittsburgh uh, almost 30 years ago. Um, I came for three years as a visiting professor. Uh, and uh, 29 and a half years later, I'm still here now as a distinguished professor. Uh, not that I expected. I kind of expected to come here, uh, gain some experience, and then go back to uh, to California. But um, I came exactly at kind of the right time. The University of Pittsburgh was sort of at an inflection point and uh, has, has never ceased to amaze me uh, ever since. It's just uh, been growing. The city is growing. The uh, is uh, and the university's uh, been constantly improving, and, and also just I've uh, been fascinated to see how it's um, it's kind of went from a regional university to a national university, and moving towards a global university. And the research uh, efforts have also expanded tremendously. You know, we went from an unranked NIH university to one of the top five. So it's um, for me, it's been a, it's been a great place to work. Um, I've also. Uh, Excited to see the changes that happen in making the university uh, more inclusive. You know, one of the things that people might not realize is, you know, like Dick Thornburg is a uh, was a uh, alumni of the University of Pittsburgh, and one of the um, you know one of the staunchest advocates for the for human rights for people with disabilities, and um, and Pitt's had a long legacy of of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, especially in the area of people with disabilities. So it's been, um, in that regard, it's an honor to be here. And it's so wonderful that we have have you, Clyde, um, on the the team. And uh, and just in the time you've been here, I've just, I've been tremendously impressed at the the changes you're making and the, um, and really important, the, um, the, the change in climate at the University of Pittsburgh to be much more inclusive, much more welcoming. Well, I appreciate, of course, the kind words, but more importantly, the fact that you stayed more than the three years you thought you were going to stay. <laughs> so to have you as part of our community, obviously, is is very important. You talk about our commitments and a bit around inclusion. Let's lean in there just a bit. Talk to me about what you see um, a personal commitment to inclusion meaning for the university, specifically as we think about the importance of including accessibility as part of that conversation? So, well, um, what I, how I see inclusions first is that everyone uh, can bring their whole self to work and everybody feels comfortable here and everybody has the opportunity to contribute. Uh, I, I kind of look at um, 
and inclusion in some ways a social capital model and everybody has uh, social capital to contribute and uh, we need to make sure that they're comfortable in doing that opportunity to do so in the means and mechanisms. Uh, for people with disability, that means that we uh, not only have to work on um, social mores and attitudinal barriers to uh, facilitate inclusion so that they uh, they see us as, as whole persons and community persons. Uh, but I, in addition to that, you need um, uh, the accessibility component. So that's the access to the physical facilities, but also uh, be able to use software, uh, online computing, online resources, computing resources, labs, field work, and um, and also mentoring and having role models, uh, which is actually one of my biggest concerns. Um, there's not that many of us with, uh, with visible disabilities on campus, uh, especially in, um, in the higher academic ranks or in leadership positions. And, you know, there is a concern that, that um, it's hard to bring on uh, new faculty, uh, new um, researchers, and, and attract students at all levels if they don't see people um, like themselves. So that's, that's something we need to, uh, to continue to work on. It's not only our problem. You know, National Science Foundation's reports have shown that there's only about Although there's about 25% of the population reports to having a, a disability as defined by the Americans with Disabilities Act, there's only about uh, 3% um, in, uh, in academia, and especially in the higher, uh, the, you know, the um, Carnegie Level 1, our research-intensive universities like the University of Pittsburgh. And, um, and there's even smaller numbers. There was a survey or a study done by the... Um, Chronicles of Higher Education that showed that it, at level at, at high at research intensive universities, there's only like one percent, one to two percent of the faculty, and so um, you know that's that's something we need to work on. Well, you highlight a, a couple of things that I think are important. One, specifically thinking about having examples. You referenced, of course, Dick Thornburg, and you two are a fine example of someone who's championed the efforts, and so we're not going to let you off the hook by not acknowledging you. So my question is, what are the things that you think we can do to further both identify examples, but more importantly, attract more examples to be a part of our university community so that we can prioritize accessibility and making the university more accessible? Well, one of the things we need to do is uh, make sure that we, uh, you know, we, as we have been, getting our messaging right so when we do on our websites or social media and on our our other materials that we include our faculty staff and students with disabilities and not not just stock photos and role and models um, so you can see real people doing real things we need to work on making sure that all of our laboratories are accessible and even looking at the future um, and I've been working with um, Rob Holland and Mike and Rob Rutenbar and Mike Holland and and uh, folks at the Carnegie Mellon University about looking at things like cloud laboratories and sim laboratories in order to, as a, not only a tool for inclusion in a broader sense, not only for inclusion of people with disabilities, but it also makes uh, access to learning science uh, cost less, hopefully, uh, which can mean that we can incorporate more students, we can maybe reach out to other par- university partners, maybe international partners to make science more inclusive. Uh, we need to work on um, just uh, going beyond ADA, you know, 
simple things like family bathrooms or, uh, you know, uh, as a way to make things more inclusive, uh, you know, offices, accessible parking spaces. Uh, for example, in, uh, the new federal guidelines for, um, for parking spaces is, is one in six parking spaces are an accessible parking space, whereas the ADA guidelines are one in eight spaces. So sometimes we can maybe get out in front of things a little bit. Uh, and that that's another way to show that we're um, we're in, out working as well. We also need to work with the city. Uh, there needs to be more accessible, affordable housing in the region. Um, it would be wonderful if we could get the city of Pittsburgh and and Allegheny County, for that matter, to um, to pass visibility building codes. So at least homes, uh, new construction, and major renovation. Uh, Especially for um, for multi-family homes, you know, built like apartments and things like that would be accessible uh, or at least visitable, um, ideally accessible, so we could have more opportunities for housing because that's a bit of a cha- we're a little bit geographically challenged or historically challenged in the region. Uh, that's that'd be another option. That might be something too for the city, uh, for the university to consider maybe um, uh, uh, creating some a. Uh, um, some housing for like graduate students, postdocs, and 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 younger faculty, so they could, or new faculty, so they have at least a place to get here and get a kind of a foothold in the community, and then look around and find housing. Well, you remind us of a couple of things, and I'm glad that you bring them up. The important uh, understanding that we're a part, certainly, of the University of Pittsburgh community, but the broader city of Pittsburgh community as well, and the importance of having relationships with the city, city leadership. Uh, and allowing our stakeholders, certainly our students, but more importantly, our faculty and staff to see themselves as making a difference in the community, particularly as we think about making the city more inclusive. And so I appreciate you highlighting that. I think it's certainly critical for us to to highlight that and think about that. But also, as we look at the anniversary, a chance for us to highlight a conversation on the importance of ADA. Uh, And so as we find ourselves on the anniversary of the ADA, talk to me about what it means for you personally and what it should mean for the individuals who are part of our university community. Well, um, for for me, what the ADA means is that it's actually enabled my success. Uh, Prior to the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, you, you, you could... Airlines could deny travel, uh, even though the airlines are exempt from the ADA. They're covered by the Air Carrier Access Act, which isn't quite as as good as the ADA. Hopefully, will get better as it gets uh, reauthorized. But um, the ADA allows for like being able to rent a car, stay in a hotel, um, to um, ex- access buildings besides you know government-owned buildings, and go to restaurants. It's uh, it's if you haven't lived it, it's pretty remarkable the changes that the ADA drove. Um, not only that, um, prior to the ADA, uh, there was no restriction on employment discrimination against people with disabilities, and so um, you could, you know, there are people, a lot of people that actually got college degrees, but they didn't have anywhere to go once they graduated. So the um, ADA is really important in that way. And that's actually another uh, opportunity for both the university uh, and the city is to uh, become an employer of choice as well, um, that we can really make an example of that. 
I will say that the other interesting thing is that the um, because the federal government under Section 504 of the Rehab Act of 1973, they kind of got out in front, and so there is a greater uh, opportunity for employment in the federal government for people with disabilities than there is in the private sector, despite the fact that the ADA is 33 years old. Um, so, um, but, uh, and it's not the, you know, I, there were, prior to the ADA, there were concerns that I could take a trip and wouldn't be sure how I was going to get home or I could get there and not know where I was going to stay. And um, at least those things are um, a lot less of a concern nowadays. It's also interesting to talk to young people who have only, uh, all, their, all their entire life has been after the ADA and they, um, they don't understand even like even the wheelchair that I sit in and many of them sit in wasn't um, wasn't covered prior to that. It largely became covered uh, by insurance companies um, because of the ADA because there was this whole change in mindset that you would be out in the community, you would be going to school, you'd be going to work, and so you'd need the technology that would facilitate that. So it it has these ripple effects if you open up your if you open up your communities, you open up your environments, uh, then, uh, then uh, of course, you have to change technology, you have to change attitudes, you have to change education. The other thing that's been really great is, um, but a lot of people don't realize that starting after World War II, in order to accommodate a lot of the wounded veterans returning from the war, Congress uh, basically said that the, the states that receive funding for higher education, which is basically all of them, um, needed to provide higher education opportunities, and how they did that was they basically created basically an accessible university, some of them too. Uh, the primary one in Pennsylvania was Edinburgh. To give you an example, in California was University of California, Berkeley. In Illinois, it was University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Sure. So you could see kind of the states, how they accept, how they embraced this and didn't embrace it, and sort of how they became leaders in some ways because it's also dependent on where, they're, where they set their people with disabilities because they then became leaders and change agents. And um, so, but prior to ADA, that's every university, which means, you know, you can come to you know, Pennsylvania, you can come to University of Pittsburgh, you can come to Carnegie Mellon University, you go to you know you can attend Duquesne University, and that itself, uh, those opportunities, they start to change the landscape. I'm talking to Dr. Roy Cooper. You're listening to the Inclusion Interchange. For more information about the Office for Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, visit our website at diversity.pit.edu, or find us on social media at Pitt Diversity. I'm Dr. Clyde Wilson-Pickett. You're listening to the Inclusion Interchange. With me today is Dr. Rory Cooper. And so, Dr. Cooper, let's get into some more discussion specifically about the impact of the work around accessibility in our students. One of the things that you talked about was legacy. And so the legacy of ADA and the opportunities for students. Talk to me more about the opportunities that exist for students and why we want to create those opportunities. Well, I think uh, – uh, thank you, Clyde. I think you want to create those opportunities, uh, one, because – there's tremendous, um, uh, say, underutilized potential. And uh, so we create opportunities for inclusion and bring in groups that have not traditionally had the opportunity uh, to attend a university or, uh, you know, upon graduation start a business or become a scientist or an inventor or an engineer or a healthcare provider. Um, 
you know, lawyer, any number of professions, or for that matter, um, you know, uh, new poets and artists and and writers, uh, we we lose that part of our, you know, we are we're not exercising the full potential of our country, right? And we're losing these really important voices and important opportunities. You know, my own case, I'm an engineer and I'm an inventor, and um, I love to work with uh, veterans and people with disabilities and older adults to uh, create uh, technologies that uh, address or ameliorate um, the challenges they're facing and to allow people to help them achieve their life goals at whatever stage of life they're in and to um, to basically tr- contribute their, their talents, their interests um, – to, to their families, to the communities, and to society at large, and I and I think uh, that's really important. Um, you know, I, there was a great article uh, uh, that I read a few years ago. Um, it's called "The Lost Einsteins," right? And that's the that's that's why you need. And that's essentially the bottom line. In some ways, from my perspective, it's a great description of why you need to have inclusion. Is because um, if you don't, then do you, um, you just don't know who might come up uh, for the cure of some amazing, you know, some disease or dread, you know, or or, or or come up with the cure for some, you know, devastating disease or create a technology that helps change, you know, reverse the course of of uh, a global warming or, um, or you know, improves transportation sure. or. Or writes the great, you know, great next American novel, and so that that's why we want to do this. And so, Dr. Cooper, for some who may not be aware, you have um, co-authored over three hundred peer-reviewed journal publications. You have twenty patents, either awarded or pending, and have written multiple books. And so, you are quite accomplished. One of the things that I would like you to share with the audience today is more information on the Human Engineering Research Laboratories or HURL. Please tell us more about Hurl and what you want the audience to know. Uh, well, thank you, uh, Clyde. I, I should probably update my bio because I have over 400 publications. I should have. I should have. Yes, absolutely. 400. Noted. <laughs> duly noted. And nearly 40 patents now. But um, it's not really the patents. It's the impact that those technologies absolutely. have had that's really important, right? And actually, the publications are really just a simple way to count. What's really important is the impact that the work has had, whether it's a patent or a publication, right? So I, I'd, I'd like to focus more on impact. Um, but, um, yeah, so the, uh, that's one of the great things about working, I, working in academia. But in my case, it's very, very, very grateful and very fortunate because the Human Research Laboratories are a partnership between the University of Pittsburgh and the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, both of them have been sort of all in on this concept for uh, nearly 30 years, which – for a soft fund, soft money funded, which means live off of you know grants, contracts, and gifts, that's almost unheard of. It's uh, pretty remarkable. Um, I have to pinch myself every once that we're still here, um, and fortunately we have grants. And I think that's largely due to the really amazing team of people that we have that are you know totally dedicated to the mission and the vision. We have. Um, we know that there's this new term kind of going around in science for the last few years about convergence. And sort of convergence was explained to me that um, 
the multidisciplinary is a is a veg, veggie tray, and then um, uh, interdisciplinary is a salad, and uh, convergence is guacamole, <laughs> and so, uh, and I think you know we, uh, you know, her all is was convergence before convergence was cool. Uh, we have engineers and physicians and various uh, therapists and counselors and business people, uh, all uh, intellectual property experts, uh, all working together. Uh, and as, in addition, we have men and women and people with disabilities and veterans and people of color uh, uh, and people from um, uh, different socioeconomic backgrounds and from different countries, um, all, all working together. And why I think uh, – both convergence is important, and why the um, and, and why uh, diversity is important is that it brings different perspectives on how to solve problems, and um, and we we try to solve problems big and small. Big and small, uh, I call them. Um, we looked at what's called the impact under uh, the area under the impact curve, so. You know, we could have a, a huge impact on a small number of people. Maybe there might only be a few people with those cases, but it changes their life tremendously. And we might have a, a more modest impact on a larger number of people. Uh, but, of course, the area under the curve uh, is large in both cases. And that's kind of our, our litmus test. I mean, one of the reasons I've still at the University of Pittsburgh after you know, nearly 30 years is that um, – uh, there, there's not a day at work that I go to that's where it's just it's not exciting. Um, there's an energy uh, within Hurl of people who are really um, creative and um, and supportive and and quite frankly um, brilliant. Um, they, um, you know, Don Koenig, the director of the VA, has come and said uh, it's it's uh, it's just remarkable how amazing that. Uh, 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 you know, Hurl does the impossible on like a daily basis, and um, it's it's. What's also exciting about that is uh, we we get a lot of students that come and want to work there, um, sure. uh, because I think they like the environment, they like working on cutting edge uh, problems, and they like to work in in teams. And we work in teams of teams, and then. Um, and then they get to work with really with state of the art technology, and we've been really blessed that um, various uh, federal agencies have provided us equipment grants over the years, and, and actually some private donors as well to, to keep us um, literally um, on on the technology that's even ahead of industry in many many regards, and and that uh, and then the, it keeps it, and they're working on real world problems. So everybody, and you can see the benefits. And to me, it's also exciting. You know, we've been at it for long enough that some of our technologies is fairly ubiquitous out there. So I can be literally in a foreign country, any state in the United States, and see somebody with our with technology that that uh, that was initiated or had its uh, conceptualization and hurl, and uh, that itself is is uh, ex- is extremely rewarding. Not only that. Um, the alumni that are all over, and um, indeed, you know they're just we they're um, we've got we've got alumni in every uh, you know that is studied in Hurl 
on every continent except Antarctica. And That's quite uh, impressive. So, so quite the footprint of impact. Yeah, no, thank you. And, um, and, that, and then a lot, what's also great is, is how many of them are still um, collaborate with us and they collaborate with each other and support each other, which was – that was one of my goals from the start is that we um, also f- sort of form these relationships where people have a lifelong um, commitment not only to the mission but also to each other. This is the Inclusion Interchange. I'm Dr. Clyde Wilson-Pickett, your host, and with me is Dr. Roy Cooper. If you have a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our email address is diversity at pitt.edu. Dr. Cooper, I want to ask you this, certainly thinking about your work. Talk to me about your impact on the current generation and future generations and where you see our work to support ADA going in the future. Well, uh, well thank you, Clyde. I mean, I, I think my greatest impact is, is uh, training an inclusive cadre of leaders um, in science and engineering. Um, I mean, one of the things that I, I always wanted to do is make sure that we, you know, I think it's an obligation as a, as an engineer with a, and a scientist with a disability that and when I had the opportunity and the means to um, create pathways for other people to follow in my footsteps um, or create their own pathways to be it really to be better and um, and that's pretty exciting to see some of them now um, since I've been at this long enough to mature to the point where they're. They are leading um, in industry and leading in academia and, and leading in government. And um, probably one of the more exciting things is uh, we have um, you know, influenced uh, government, uh, the uh, National Science Foundation, the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, and the National Academy of Inventors, for that matter, have really um, created more initiatives recently in the last five, ten years to looking at inclusion – and including people with disabilities and how we can improve um, both uh, not only science and education but commerce as well. And um, I've been actually very pleased to work with the patent off U.S. Patent Trademark Office in that regard. And you can see now that these programs are starting to pay off. We've got um, people with disabilities in more prominent positions. Uh, it's just a toehold right now. Uh, we need to keep working on it and get more. So uh, if if there are uh, students or faculty out there or prospective students that want to work in this field and want to contribute, uh, please reach out to us. We'd be happy to have you um, join our team and work together and collaborate. And um, uh, so it's exciting now that um, we're uh, starting to see uh, where we're getting – we're just starting to reach – uh, the point where we might get to critical mass in the next, you know, five to ten years, where um, where we have enough leaders that we can uh, get people engaged. So one of the exciting things is that the, at the um, like in the Department of Defense uh, grant review program, now they want uh, you have to include stakeholder perspective. There's stakeholder perspective included in the review process, and there's a stakeholder perspective has to be included in the writing process. And, um, and those, those types of changes, as well as the opportunities for scholarships and early career awards um, and uh, cohort uh, hiring programs and things like that, uh, I think in some ways 
uh, that's the future. I really, in our field, what I'm excited about is transitioning from we're, uh, designing or conducting research um, uh, for people with disabilities, and that's uh, conducting research or creating new technologies, um, collaborating with or integrating uh, teams of professionals of people with disabilities. Well, Dr. Cooper, certainly we're glad to have had you with us on the Inclusion Interchange, our first guest, no doubt, and on the anniversary of the ADA. On behalf of our colleagues here at the University of Pittsburgh, we so appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. But more importantly, we appreciate your legacy and all that you've done to impact uh, the science, the scholarship, and more importantly, the legacy of, of others who will now be invested in this work. I think it goes without saying that you have made our community better. Uh, And I mean that in the broadest sense, not just the University of Pittsburgh, but the broader community that is uh, uh, certainly our country and beyond. So thank you for all that you've done. Anything that you want to leave us with as we work to close? Oh, well, thank you, Clyde. I'm honored to be your first guest. But more importantly, I'm uh, I'm just so pleased to be able to work with you here at the University of Pittsburgh and to consider among my friends and, and that we're in this uh, effort together. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm honored, of course, to call you a friend, uh, a colleague, and I look forward to all that we will accomplish in the time ahead. For the folks who joined us, thank you for listening today. We look forward to being with you on a future episode. Take care and be well. Hail to Pitt. You've been listening to The Inclusion Interchange, a podcast from the University of Pittsburgh's Office for Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Technical support for this podcast is provided by the Center for Teaching and Learning. For more information about the Office for Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, visit our website at diversity.pitt.edu or find us on social media at Pitt Diversity. The Inclusion Interchange is produced by Jay Toger for OEDI.